Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head Strength and Conditioning Coach for Men's and Women's Basketball at the University of Richmond, Jay DeMeo. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today I've got Jay DeMeo on the line. As I say in the interview, the reason I got Jay on was I wanted to discuss court sports and basketball in particular, and who better to talk about it than doing the man himself, Jay DeMeo. I fired a few questions over to Jay prior to the, uh, the chat that we had, and the list was just far too long, so I had to chop it down a little bit. We do get into some really good conversation about how he trains his, his basketball guys and the kind of environment they're, that they're involved in as scholarship athletes uh, in the US. The meat of the conversation with Jay uh, focuses around his development of backwards and lateral movements in basketball. He also works with men's and women's tennis, so we obviously discussed that uh, with regards to tennis as well. He also touches on his influences, uh, Dr. Verkashansky and Dr. Yassis, and how he interprets uh, their thoughts from their research. But before we get on to the chat with Jay, I just want to remind everyone to keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at PaceyPerform. You can also shoot over to PaceyPerformance.co.uk and you can catch all the previous episodes of the podcast on there. You can also subscribe on iTunes and download the Podomatic app, which means you can listen on the go no matter what device you're listening with. And with all that said, I hope you enjoy the chat with Jay. Hi guys, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Uh, really excited today. I've got Jay DeMeo on the phone. Uh, the reason I wanted to get Jay on was because we haven't had anyone discussing um, basketball and court sports, so I really wanted to get his opinion on a few things. So welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks for having me, bud. No problem. Do you want to give us a bit of a um, an introduction to yourself, your, your education, your background? Sure. Um... Going on my 11th year here at the University of Richmond, and, um, prior to taking over basketball, I've, I've spent at least a little bit of time working with every team we have here on campus. Um, starting back, I did my undergrad work at a school called SUNY Cortland. Uh, got my undergrad degree in, in physical education, then interned at a school, another state school back in New York, uh, SUNY Binghamton and was lucky to score a graduate assistantship and work for a guy named Kip Hittrick out at uh, Indiana State University. And then Kip ended out leaving in the middle of our second year. So I was lucky to land a, a paid internship out here at Richmond, where I've been uh, ever since. Cool. So what's your, what's your current role at Richmond? I am the head strength and conditioning coach for men's basketball. I also work with swimming and diving, uh, men's tennis, and field hockey. Cool. So did you get assigned them for specific reasons, or was it just they kind of landed on you? Well, swimming's the only team that I've had the entire time I've been here. Okay. Um, tennis I've been in and out with, and field hockey in and out with. Um, but it's my main assignment is, is men's basketball. Cool. 
Now, I just wanted to um, I wanted to get into your into your head about the basketball players. Really, um, your main focus when the guys come in at age eighteen. What's your kind of main goal for them boys um, starting out? Well, I think that when you look at these kids when they come in, the real really the most important thing is understanding that they have a training age of zero, and that we have a very unique situation here where you know this will be the third of the last four years where we've redshirted kids so we actually have five years to develop them um so i'm really able to actually tell these kids that they need to pump the brakes quite a bit it's it's not a race you know and and it's more of teaching them how to do things right you know teaching them how to work in a sense i guess but even more so how to understand what the work they're doing is for and then building upon that um i'm not really a firm believer of just working to work i think that you know especially in the collegiate environment when you're in a school like this you know where we have you know the average student is, has board scores that rival most ivy leagues uh, places that you, you really don't have the time to just bring a kid in and kick his teeth in you know we need to make sure that the time that we're using we're we're devoting positively to their development and they need to understand that there's days again that, you know, we can put the hammer down or, or we need to pull the shoot and kind of stop for a bit. Um, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you get in? Go on, go go mate, sorry. No, go on, mate. You carry on. Um, but then when we get them to get a feeling of what we're doing, well, then we can look at like what actually they're doing. So is a kid more elastic or is a kid, you know, more of a, a strength type kid, you know, is he, is he able to bounce or does he have to push? Does he, does he move well? Is he a one foot jumper? Is he a two foot jumper? You know, I mean, it, it, you look at a lot of these kids and there are some, some minor deficiencies that to be completely honest, a lot of them correct themselves just with simple, smart loading. Um, but you do have to take into account that there are some situations that you need to quote unquote correct um it's an awful word i don't know if you actually correct anything but you know what i mean with that yeah yeah totally so what does a guy look like coming out of through your program age 21 22 god i hope a lot better than he looked like when he came in (laughs) um hopefully what he looks like is is a guy who's who's lifted a weight or two um but a guy who's who moves better, you know, because the thing that people really get so crazily bent out of shape about are our weight room numbers, you know, like Johnny squats X and Billy benches Y. So we're doing a good job. Um, that's great. I love lifting heavy stuff. It's really neat. It's a lot of fun. Who cares? I mean, like really, who cares? You know what, what your kids, weight room performances are can can we take a kid and put you know in his three four five years can we put six seven inches on a vertical can we put seven eight inches on an approach jump can we put you know can we take a a a baseline to foul line sprint and cut three four tenths can we on a lane slide cut three four tenths can we make the kid do things that are going to transfer to basketball better um, so hopefully what we see is a kid who moves 
light years better than he did prior and is, is now a high-end athlete. So are you, are you put under any pressure by people kind of, so to speak, above you with regards to the numbers? Are they kind of a bit more in tune with how you're, you're looking at things? No, they're more in tune. Um, you know, they, everybody has their things. And, you know, we unfortunately are not able to bring in, you know, some genetic freak show who's, you know, already walking in, living the dream and being jacked and tan. So a, a strong priority of what we have to do to allow these kids to compete at the high major level is, you know, put some mass on them. Um, so if there's any quote pressure, which I don't really know, I would call it pressure. It's more of a request. It would be that we need to put some mass on the kids. Completely understandable. You know, I mean, it, it's, a stick is never going to win a fight with a boulder. So we need to make sure that these kids are able to handle that. Now, a thing like that, though, is not something that's going to make a total dramatic change to the training program because it's just a byproduct of training, you know? Like, So as long as we can track expenditure and intake when we're looking at calories and how they're handling themselves, then it, it's sure to, you know, it should just take care of itself. So you're not going to make that a particular focus of a certain amount of time? It's just going to be, it's just be within the general program itself. Yeah. I, I, the focus is always, what can we do to improve performance? Mm -hmm. Like if we're looking out of the scope, that's what the laser's shooting at. Making them better at basketball. Cool. With that being said, there are these byproducts of the training program that happen. I mean, it, Getting an 18 to 22 year old kid bigger is probably the easiest part of what we do. Yeah. Getting them bigger and stronger. Just lift stuff. You know, pick it up, put it down, do it again. Go eat steak. There it is, you know. Um, but when you're in a 12 month practice environment, there are things that make it a little more difficult when it comes to recovery and expenditure and making sure they're eating and stress with class and everything else. Um, but to say that we take a quote phase and say, all we're doing is trying to get bigger, I think would diminish the overall goal, which is to make sure now we're, we're trying to get them bigger. Yes. But we're also making sure they're not just getting bigger and now their verts are dropping or they're slower you know, or whatever, like we can't handle our body weight as well because then it doesn't matter, right? If, if I just make a kid bigger and now he sucks, well, he sucks. Hello? Yes, sir. Sorry, mate. I missed that last little bit. Oh, no. I said, so it's, you know, part of me would die a little bit saying this, but it's functional hypertrophy. Yeah. You know, making sure that they're able to, to move and, and, be explosive and fast and cut and keep somebody in front of them and, and get bigger. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, yeah, what I was going to get on was um, something that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago with regards to obviously pressures, being a, being a university athlete. 
how much how much in, you know influence do you have with regards to kind of all around like pastoral care with these lads what we can do in the training environment and then what we can do recuperatively uh, yeah. recuperatively bleh, um because we know what practice is going to be like okay so when we have had a kid for two or three years we know plus or minus a little bit how a couple days are going to handle them mm -hmm. and how they're going to handle those days so we can look and say you know greg is reaching x so we should probably start infusing a couple things into what we're doing or we should be taking things back. Um, we are lucky to have a lot of really great monitoring technology here. Um, we use heart rate monitors every day at practice. We are omega waving the kids every morning at breakfast so we can uh, we can look at how ready they are and, and we can monitor the training and, and alter the training that we're doing so that they're able to adapt to that and we can continue to improve throughout the season. So how, how many how many guys have you got kind of looking at this data? It's obviously not just yourself. Oh, no, it, it's me and my assistant. Cool. But probably, I mean, I probably am the one doing 90% of that. All right. Nice. No, I just wanted to get on to um, a little bit of conditioning talk. I uh, spoke to a guy from Australian Rules Football about his 80-20 conditioning principle. I just wanted to get your take on conditioning for basketball, whether a lot of it's kind of done in, in games with the ball or there's a little bit more actually, you know, solely running um, without the ball. just wanted to get your take on that. Well, the NCAA has a rule that anytime you involve the ball, it's considered practice. Okay. So... In the off-season, if you want to call it an off-season, they have two hours of skill instruction with the coaches. So that's two hours a week where they can use the ball. I'm not going to touch that. Uh, I, I probably would not be in the situation I am if I told them that I wanted to take that time away from them. Um, I think there is and, – and, and, of course, this pendulum swings – dramatically north and south from all high-intensity work to all aerobic work. But I think, especially with basketball players, because of the high workload that practice is, that the lower-end aerobic work, you know, whether it be extensive tempo or even, you know, like cardiac output work where it's, you know, 130 to 150 heart rate for, for time, I think it has a really, really, really high value. Mm -hmm. um, kids recover faster, you know, both between sessions and during sessions. Um, and what we've seen is people with people that were better aerobically typically recover better day to day, and they're more ready to go day to day. Um, now, with all of that being said. When the workload is very intense in practice, it is sometimes very hard to manage that load. Um, I do know a lot of teams that really do follow, I mean, 80-20, it might be more, where their conditioning is with a ball, and they're playing, and 
You know, that's what they do. I mean, shoot, we did that for a very long time. Um, I just don't know if that would be the best thing for the long-term development of the athlete. Mm-hmm. So with the, like you mentioned, the aerobic uh, style training, have you seen the, the recovery improve with regards to the data generated by the Amiga wave? Yeah. Okay. For the kids that have the higher aerobic index scores and the higher metabolic uh, reaction indexes typically come back, quote, green. Yeah. Uh, more often than not, and it doesn't matter how high the load was. Um, now, if they go out and they do a lot of extra things, whether it be extra workouts or extra skill work or let's just call it extra social work, um, I mean, that throws a wrench into you know everything because we don't know what yeah. is completely going on. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you know, and, and the other thing you see is, is heart rate numbers in practice where, you know, when they get a 60 to 90 second water break, you know, it looks like a guy just fell out of an airplane <laughs> where it's, it's up and then it's just straight down. Um, it, it's pretty neat. Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about a, um, an article that I read recently um, on about um, – collegiate athletes in America, um, specifically basketball and football, who are competing in track and field or athletics in the off-season um, and how it can improve, uh, quote-unquote, athleticism that was mentioned by the author. Is that something that goes on at, at your place or is that something you encourage, discourage? So, like, when we look at that, it's actually an interesting situation because we've had some American football players have really, really good success in athletics. Um, you know, skill guys winning jump in, uh, in sprint events. We've had, um, you know, linemen really being high-level throwers. Uh, but the problem is with basketball going a majority of the school year and now being allotted practice time basically whenever they have class, they can practice two hours a week. Um, we don't really see much of that. Now, could some of the straight-ahead speed stuff help? Could the explosive power from, you know, the throwers develop, could that help? Certainly. But what we have noticed looking at, because um, we were lucky to have Catapult on campus for a couple days, so we could just look at how the guys move. And an extremely vast majority of movements in basketball are side-to-side and backwards. Very little of it is straight ahead. So I don't know how much overall carryover there would be um, to basketball. But as a GPP type thing, I really don't see how it would hurt. Mm-hmm. So do many guys do it or not? No, none of our guys do. Okay. Football, yes. Yeah. But basketball, no. Okay. So I mean, you touched on the obviously getting uh, Catapult in to have a look at the movement. So you obviously saw that a lot of their movements were forwards and back, uh, were backwards and sideways, sorry. So do you specifically look at them qualities? I mean, I know it's one of the questions I was going to come on to later, but um, have you specifically looked at them qualities and what kind of ways do you go about improving them? 
Yeah. Oh, completely. One, I mean, 100%. Um, and we've added more and more to that. Um, the hardest part with that is other than timing, we're having a very difficult time looking at a simple, quick, reliable way to measure speed and explosive output going left to right. Uh, we were trying some jumping stuff, but it was really awkward. Um, it lasted about two weeks. Then I was like, I just can't stomach it. Um, but we do, you know, a lot of the methods that I follow are based on the teachings of Dr. Michael Yeses and Dr. Verkoshansky, who's, you know, Yuri's work has been carried on by his daughter, Natalia, uh, two absolutely brilliant human beings. Um, their methods blend very well. They, they're almost married in a way. Um, the methods, not the doctors, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's really neat. And it's, it's just building sound movement, looking at from general to specific, how we can build and how we can get them to to move better and, and when they do move well, intensifying or changing and, and building more. Um, it's really fantastic. We've seen great results. Um, and we're hoping to continue to build upon what we've started with that. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a few little examples of the kind of things you're talking about? Yeah, I think that the biggest one is, uh, well, I'd, I'd probably rank one from each of them. So I think the biggest one from the Verkoshanskis is probably understanding how important the extensive method is. Understanding how important building those elastic qualities and um, as, as Natalia so perfectly said, being able to catch the pleasure. So you should be able to bounce and move like a child playing effortlessly, being able to do these exercises almost exponentially because Building those qualities, that elasticity, is what allows you to propel yourself quicker. And then, you know, Doc's specialized exercises, looking at the lunges, which are a, a more advanced exercise, not super advanced, but I'd say, you know, it's, it's not remedial. Um, the ability to develop the power and explosiveness based off of the resistance that his active cords provide to displace your pelvis, whether it be linearly or laterally. Um, I think that that's really kind of a deal changer. And I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people overlook. Um, but it's really, they're really fascinating exercises that really do have a very strong carryover to how you move. And, you can continue to progress them almost forever. Um, you, you see kids slowly but surely develop and, and get stronger, and then all of a sudden they're moving a great distance, and then you add resistance, and it's back to being a struggle again. And they're just working on becoming stronger and more explosive in the techniques. Um, they're fantastic. So that that's carried over onto the court, you've seen? I, I really think so. I think I think that those are probably the two things that we do best. Um, 
you know, I mean, the precision and understanding the whens and the whys and the hows and all that, you know, that's probably the most important. But I think the two biggest changes were adopting those two methods and marrying them and then understanding the importance of those two parts of their methods. Mm. That's really, really interesting. Um, just to move on a little bit, when it comes to obviously basketball with so many, so many games in the in the season, how do you manage your S and C work uh, with your technical practice? I know you've mentioned obviously the the guidelines of of two hours when they've got classes and things, but what does a regular regular week look like for the lads that you're working with? Well, if we're looking, um, <coughs> excuse me, if we're looking like specifically in our conference season, <laughs> we typically will play Wednesday and Saturday. So we practice Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Sundays are off day. Depending on the level of the athlete, how much they're playing, how long they've been in the program, they'll train anywhere from two to four days. Um, and now what we look at monitoring-wise, uh, the first thing we look at is practice. We look at the training load. We look at caloric expenditure. We match caloric expenditure up with what we're providing them to make sure that we are in at least an equal balance, but hopefully a, a positive balance where we're giving them more than they're burning off so we don't melt away during the season since that was such, uh, that was a, it was a big emphasis by the staff. Uh, the next thing we look at is our Omega Wave readings, and we base a lot of our training on that. So we look at readiness, which is the overall um, ability of the athlete to adapt at that point. We look at omega tree, which is the level of wakefulness of your CNS. And then we look at a readiness questionnaire that we give the kids every day at breakfast. And the final thing that we look at is their tension index. And what we've done is we've kind of written a bunch of if then statements in Excel and we plug those numbers into a spreadsheet. And it spits out one, two, or three. And if they're one, and they're able to adapt and handle the highest intensity load that we would put on them. So we go a little bit. If it's a two, we take a pretty significant step backwards. Uh, if it's a three, you know, we, we take a huge leap backwards. And then depending on what our tension states, uh, which, which that really tells us whether the kid is hurting, like there's actual pain, or if there is emotional tension. Um, if that's out of the norm, then a one becomes a two, a two becomes a three. A three becomes either half the volume or see you next time. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, and then we, we've actually, knock on wood, had, had really good performance success with that, you know, seeing kids moving better and, and setting PRs and inverts and jumps and things like that while we're playing. Hmm. Um, you know, that's what's important is being good now. So we'll see if that continues to be the way we go or if, you know, this has been just a really just kind of a matter of luck, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's newer to us, you know, implementing these kind of if then decision trees. Hmm. Uh, but it's neat. It's fun. It, it makes it, it makes it a little exciting to, to see things and how they play out. So you mentioned um, Omega Tree? Yes. Is that, 
Just do you want to just uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, that's that's kind of the the thing that separates Omega Wave as a monitoring technology because you know most of them you know most people right now are looking at hrv mm-hmm. and hrv is great um but omega wave looks at a bunch of other stuff when you're looking at the you know your cardiac system but on top of that they also look at omega tree and and what that is it was basically like the noise in your brain waves um that was figured out how to how to read it um we put a ECG pad, an AG, AGCL ECG pad um, on the kid's forehead and the fat pad of the right hand and uh, sensor connects and it just looks at actual brainwave activity, um, nervous system activity and just tells you how, how ready your CNS is to be able to handle different levels of stress. That's really interesting. So did all this, I'm sure it's been a bit of a kind of drip fed, but how have been technical coaches uh, been kind of uh, forthcoming with implementing this kind of one, two, three system? This is completely done under my supervision. This doesn't okay. transfer to the court. Okay. Uh, I don't know. That would be a very big step for me mm-hmm. professionally okay um it would be a very long <laughs> i mean how did neil say it be one giant step for me one giant leap for mankind <laughs> um it would be kind of like that um and it would almost be a situation where it would need to be a change of what my job actually was yeah that was more of a sports science monitoring you know what i don't know what do people call them now like high performance yeah yeah performance manager or something yeah um i think that'd be cool i think it'd be a lot of fun i don't know if i'm ready to don that hat completely yet though Mm -hmm. so do they have anything at all to uh to monitor their kind of workload on the car we look at heart rate training load um, okay. that's provided by Polar. Right. Uh, we talk about some of those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's there, – there's times where we've talked and they've asked, what's this, what's that? And, and you know, we just kind of keep talking with them and educating them and, and, and helping them and trying to provide whatever info they are looking for. I'm not going to sit here and run out and be like – whoa, 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 stop the presses, stop the presses. Because at some point, too, there needs to be just the general practice that we're doing. And they need to have their area, too. And I don't I don't think that, again, unless it would be in a high-performance situation where we would all be sitting around a table looking at everything, I don't, I don't think that that's, um, that's a hat that I'm wearing right now. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I'm no expert when it comes to when it comes to basketball. But do you train uh, very specifically with regards to the positions that the guys play? Well, our system's a little different. Everybody does everything. Okay. Uh, you know, our big guys will guard people on the perimeter. Our guards will guard people in in the post. Our our five foot six point guard will cut back door and post somebody up if he can. Um. So with that being in mind, most things are done 
uh, the same. Do we do things that are athlete specific? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, certain kids may need certain things. But when it comes to just, you know, our bigs only do X, Y, and Z, it's, it's not really that situation because everyone does quite a bit of everything. That's cool. Um, last couple of things I just want to hack your brain on. Um, briefly talk about your your stint with men and women's t tennis. Obviously, I mean, you've spoken about it already with your kind of lateral movements, um, but how do you develop this quality with, with your tennis guys and girls, obviously? Well, a lot of it is similar. Hmm. Um, you know, the specialized work is similar. Um, probably don't lift as much as we get going forward um but uh, most of it is 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 very similar because what we, what we need to remember we're looking at is like general specific right like how you change direction how you cut those sort of things are general specific now if we get into specialized exercises like hip turning and you know how they rotate their upper body when they hit the ball, things like that. That's where things get a little different. Um, and that's all stuff that I would, I would tell you that I, you know, you'd, you'd be best off looking at what Dr. Yes has talks about. Cause he's gonna, his books, he explains it way better than I'd ever be able to. Um, but you know, the side lunge, the extensive, you know, jump training, things like that are very, very important. Um, again, you know, strength isn't, necessarily is, is high of a priority um but there are the the foundation and the the general strength level that needs to be acquired prior to being able to advance to some more advanced training mm -hmm. so which which book is that by dr yeses that you mentioned um well so there's side note. two of them it's i want to say it's like the explosive backhand and explosive forehand i can pull it up right now Explosive tennis, the backhand, and the forehand. Cool. They're two different books. Um, it, his stuff's very different, and people just need to be kind of open-minded when they read it. Um, but he looks at things very differently from a performance standpoint because he only cares about them playing better. He's not really worried about record board you know, type stuff. Yeah, I understand. Um, He's more worried about record types. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, just to um, – just last little question I've got for you. I mean, I kind of know the answer anyway, but agility, um, so not a quality that you can solely develop in the gym. What's your take on that? We do a ton of stuff working on technique with how they cut. Yeah. I think that's really important. Um, and then when they learn those techniques – combined with specialized exercises and then the jumping progression that Natalia talks about. Then we get into some more reactive type stuff, whether they're cutting on a visual cue that's me pointing or another guy that they're chasing, or we try to confuse them with a visual cue, then yell something different, you know, point to the left and yell purple and see if we can almost trip them over their own feet, you know, um, I think there are some things that you can develop. Do I think that just quote agility drills, uh, 
are the best way? I don't know. I think that if we can combine teaching technique with building different qualities and then putting them into exercises where they're forced to react and, and move, then I think that we can do pretty well. Hmm. No, that's cool. I mean, I've taken enough of your time, I think, now. Uh, it's 35 minutes. But um, just a little bit of a roundup. Uh, just, just talk us through your work with CVSPS and a couple of the seminars that you run where people can catch your work and your um, contact details on social media. Yeah. Um, Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar is a symposium that we put on here every year. Uh, we're going to do it in July now, which is uh, it's going to be good for us. But we just try to bring in some really smart people and, and, and try to pick their brains and learn from them. It's, it's been something that's really helped me build some pretty awesome relationships. Um, you can find out a ton of information on the website, and that's cvasps.com. So it's Charlie Victor Apple Sam Peter Sam.com. And then you take out the dot com and put at Gmail, and that's the email. Or uh, you can find us at CVSPS on Twitter. Um, we're on Facebook, too. I have a newsletter with the website that I'm absolutely horrendous with keeping up with. Um, it's hard to do that and all these things in coach, and it's something I'm, I'm trying to be a good boy about, but I'm uh, my mom would be uh, disappointed. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're just trying to, to bring – more and more information to coaches and bring people out who are really willing to talk about not just what they do, but the results that they get. And I think that that's kind of the next step for us as a profession is being more open book and saying, this is what we did. These are the results we got. Now let's talk about it because that's how conversations are going to start. And that's how this profession is going to evolve and adapt and become better. Mm, no, I totally agree. So is there, there's articles on the, on the website. Uh, as yeah, well as articles, the newsletter. podcasts, um, not as much as I'd like. I'm sure it's not as much as people would like, um, but we're trying to put up more and more all the time. Uh, actually going to announce another speaker in the next 24 hours, so it's... Uh, nice. It's neat. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's... Again, what we're trying to do is put more and more information out there about what those of us that are involved are actually doing mm -hmm. and the results we're getting. Because I think that that's what's really important, and that's what's gonna gonna help people. I mean, because here's the thing: like, we could sit there and say, "Well, this is what Richmond basketball does for jumping," and that'd be great. I'm sure people would love it. But if my guys don't jump higher, like, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so what what I'd like to be able to do is have more people come on and write and say, "Hey, so this is what our fitness program was like." Our beep test scores went from, you know, A to B. Let's talk about how we did, you know. And, I mean, like, just here's the thing. Like, what if what if we do the same things and we get completely different results and your your guys do better than mine? Well, like, what else are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, mm, yeah, yeah. What if we can find that it's it's not the, the sole method. It's kind of the entire build up that was there was a problem or or the limiting factor or whatever it may be you know yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, it's, are, it's, are the guys over there in different programs going to be open to that or are they kind of under lock and key with regards to the programs that they run 
Uh, you know I mean, are they quite I'd open with that? Probably more people are more open about it than uh, than I think we would think okay. because, especially when you when you open up by saying at the end of the day, the only people that are going to get better are your kids. Gosh. You know, I I think that probably for most of us it's more of a concern of well what if it's not as good as i thought then well i don't want to tell people what i do yeah of course it's insecurity isn't it right because i I, and i'm not saying that to be a prick i'm just saying that because it it just is what it is Mm. you know like it's kind of brave to be like this was the end product and just putting yourself out there because now you're opening yourself up for criticism. But that's kind of what I want is people to criticize us and maybe constructive criticism is a better term. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't want anybody coming on and being a prick, but (laughs) like what you like, what you don't like, what you see, what you would change, why you would change it? What results you see because you think do things a little different? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what's important. Now, just because it worked for you, of course, it doesn't mean it's going to work for my guys. But maybe seeing what you do and the results you get helps. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that's how we're going to move forward at a greater level. I think. What just? I don't like the old Soviet sports reviews. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just gives you something else to think about. Whether you take it on board, because it might not work for your guys, is another thing, but it gives you something to think about. Yeah. No, it's been a really good chat. I, um, I'll i round up there. So just thanks for your time. I know it's uh, it's the middle of the day over there, so it's taking out your, your time coaching or catching up on your newsletter that you're not doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, thanks very much. Um, I appreciate you having me, man. No, that's cool. Where can people, I, think you, I don't know if you've mentioned it already, on Twitter? Have you got a Twitter handle that people can catch you on? Yep, at CVASPS is um, the website's Twitter. Cool. And then mine is at JDeMeo. Nice. Cool. Well, I'll um, when that newsletter gets, gets put up, I'll um, I'll give it a retweet and a favorite and give it a read. Brilliant, man. Appreciate it. Okay, mate. I'll, um, I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good, my friend. Take care. Thanks, mate. See you later. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Jay. Got some really great guests coming up over the next weeks and months. So if you want to keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast, the best place to do that is on Twitter. And you can follow me at Pacey Perform. You can also jump over to the website, which is paceyperformance.co.uk. And you can listen to all the back episodes on there. But I will catch you in the next episode.